Hey, Drew Dixon from Love Thy Nerd back with you for another Bible Thump. We're in the Gospel of Mark, and we find ourselves in chapter 4, and this is one of the longest and most famous parables Jesus told in the Gospels. It's one of the first ones that comes up in the Gospel of Mark. So let's read. It's kind of long, but um, it's a cool story. So let's read it together. Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Again, he began to teach by the sea, and a very large crowd gathered around him. So he got into a boat on the sea and sat down, while the whole crowd was by the sea on the shore. He taught them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, consider the sower who went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil, and it grew up quickly. And since the soil wasn't deep, when the sun came up, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it didn't produce fruit. Still other seed fell on good ground, and it grew up, producing fruit that increased thirty, sixty, and a hundred times. Then he said, Let anyone who has ears to hear, let him listen. When he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables, and he answered them, saying, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those outside, everything comes in parables, so that they may indeed look and yet not perceive. They may indeed listen and not yet understand. Otherwise, they might turn back and be forgiven. Then he said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. Some are like the word sown on the path. When they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word sown in them. And other, others like seed sown on rocky ground. When they hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy. But they have no root. They are short-lived. When distress or persecution comes because of the word, they immediately fall away. Others are like seed sown among the thorns. These are the ones who hear the word, but the worries of this age, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the de desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Those like seeds sown on good ground hear the word, welcome it, and produce fruit 30, 60, and 100 times what was sown. All right, so um, I just want to say a few things about this parable. I think in some ways its meaning is kind of obvious, which is funny to say because Jesus says, the reason I'm teaching in parables is so that some of you won't understand what I'm saying and so that some people won't get it. But at the same time, I think we can look at this and go, okay, I think I know what this is about. But I do want to dispel first some sort of like cheap interpretations of this parable that have kind of gone out. I think the most common one is that this is a parable about how people respond to the word of salvation, like the message of salvation. Um, so the gospel as only a message of salvation, that the gospel is just this formula of how you get forgiveness and how you get to go to heaven one day when you die. Um, that wasn't present when Mark wrote this gospel. There, there wasn't any kind of, that wasn't how people understood the gospel. We'll put it that way. Um, and so when we think that Jesus is talking about how different people in the world respond to the message of salvation, as we think of it as in going to heaven, I think we miss the bigger picture of what the gospel really is, but then also what this parable is about. So no one would have had that in their mind at this time. There wasn't, there wasn't a Roman's road to salvation, if you've heard that phrase before. There wasn't a quote-unquote plan of salvation that you could walk someone through with a gospel tract. No one had gospel tracts back then. They didn't have the New Testament. They didn't have the Book of Romans at the time um, when Mark wrote this letter. Um, so, so what do you do? Um, what is Jesus really on about? What is he saying? 
Well, I think he's talking about how people, yes, respond to the gospel, but specifically, they, how do they respond to the good news about him? How do they respond to the word of God as it's being proclaimed? And Jesus, by the way, is the word of God. Jesus is the word of God made manifest. Jesus is the word of God in human flesh. So Jesus is the best and clearest and best representation of who God is and what he's like. And so this is a parable about how people respond to Jesus himself, not just the message of salvation, but Jesus himself in the kingdom he's been preaching about and establishing and and exhibiting, um, living out with the way that he did life. And so I think it's important that we recognize that the kingdom of God um, is not just about a ticket to heaven. The kingdom of God is about righteousness. The kingdom of God is about good relationships with other people. The kingdom of God is about loving your neighbor. The kingdom of God is about how we care for the least of these. The kingdom of God is about casting out demons and healing the sick and raising the dead and finding your sins forgiven. Uh, the kingdom of God is about so much more than just a path to eternal bliss. And so um, this is this is really uh, about how we respond, not just to um, like salvation or the offer of salvation or something, but this is how we respond to Jesus and his agenda. Which, if you've tuned in for any of the other Bible thumps recently, you know this is a big theme in Mark's gospel. Mark's really interested in this tension between Jesus and the religious leaders of his day, but also Jesus and just the people of Israel who responded to Jesus in all kinds of different ways. Um, lots of them loved Jesus and followed him. Um, lots of them distrusted him. And there was this huge movement, especially amongst the religious leaders, to discredit Jesus, right? And so Jesus is saying, look, there's going to be a lot of people who respond to me in a lot of different ways, and um, you need to think about where you fall here in this category. How do you respond to the kingdom I've been proclaiming and all its implications? Um, and there's really only one way to respond to that that's worthwhile, right? It's this, this final soil, this final soil that truly bears fruit. So what Jesus is doing in this parable, I think there's a couple things. One, it's, it's almost kind of like a political cartoon. You know, it's a way of Jesus stating things really boldly without also saying them completely boldly, you know? It's like saying something really strong in a way that's not going to get him crucified just yet. Um, Jesus is constantly doing this in the Gospels. He's not saying everything he could say, because if he said everything he could say and wants to say in some ways, um, his ministry would have ended prematurely because of all the tension between him and the religious leaders of his day, and him and the crowds, and, and so forth and so on. So Jesus is, is being intentionally veiled, it's part of why he spoke in parables, because um, he had a lot of work to do, and he couldn't um, let people's frustrations with some of the things he said um, keep him from, from doing what God sent him to do. Um, but there's also an invitation here to like get on board with Jesus and his agenda. Um, this is an indication that following Jesus is not just about knowing certain truths or being... Um, having the correct theology or, um, you know, being on the right side of Jesus, um, it's following him as an invitation to make a real difference in the world because what is the soil that really matters? What's the one soil that's really a part of his kingdom? It's the one that bears fruit, but not just a little bit of fruit, right? Um, 
It's the one that, that produces fruit 30, 60, and 100 times what was sown. Jesus invites you and me to make a real and lasting difference in the world, to be agents of his kingdom in all that we do and all that we say and in all of our relationships. Um, Jesus is making all things new. He, his mission is one of restoration. I mean, that's what we've seen all along, is right, is Jesus is taking everything that's broken and wrong with the world and making it right again. Um, now, of course, we know he's not going to do that completely until he returns, but his earthly ministry, his kingdom is is in the process of restoring things to their pre-fall state of making things new and good and right again and making uh, the world this beautiful place where God is is glorified and and so what I want you to see in this passage is that that's your purpose that's what you get invited to do um, when you really love and trust someone you're willing to share important and valuable work with them. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He's saying, come be a part of this kingdom. Come be one of the people that hears the truth about me, that gets a glimpse of, I mean, think about the Sermon on the Mount, right? What, is, what kind of, of, of world does the Sermon on the Mount envision? Well, it, it, it envisions the kind of life in the kingdom that, that God wants us to experience now. It, it tells us to, to love our neighbors. It tells us to be lights to the world. It says, blessed are the merciful. It says, blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who are meek. So it's this picture of um, life of where human beings really are kind and understanding and forgiving. It promotes forgiveness. It promotes restoration um, it talks about turning the other cheek. It envisions this world where we really are embodying the love of Jesus in our friendships, our relationships, uh, in our churches, in everything that we do. And that's the invitation Jesus gives to us, to be real ingredients of the love of God. Um, ingredients is the wrong word. To be real um, messengers of that love, to be real embodiments of that love, to be real uh, proclaimers of that love um, by the way that we speak and the way that we live and the way that we hear about Jesus and the kind of person that he was. The more we study about Jesus, the more we should say, I want to embody his love. I want to embody his values. I want to embody the way he does relationships and my relationships. Um, and this is good news. Like, you're invited to be a part of God's restoration plan, of God's uh, redemption plan, of God's work in the world. And salvation, I talked about that earlier, like, eternal salvation is a huge part of that, but it's only a piece of what God's doing, and it's only a piece of the, of the bigger picture plan. So don't miss what God's doing in the world. Let's ask, let's ask him for eyes to see and ears to hear, right? Let's ask him to open our hearts so that we don't become like those who hear but don't perceive, who look and don't perceive and, and may listen but don't understand. Um, but let's be those who hear, and when we hear the word, we say, I want to be a part of that. Not only do I want to be a part of it, I want to um, make a difference in the world for Christ, for his kingdom, for the flourishing of my neighbors, for the good of the world. You're invited to be a part of making the world a better place through the good news about Jesus. That's exciting. I hope it excites you. If it doesn't, man, 
pray. Ask God to make it so. Ask God to open your eyes to the value of this gift that he gives us in Jesus. Ask him to open your eyes to the good work of the kingdom God's placed in front of you and is offering you to be a real important part of. Um, It's really good news. Really, really good news. Thanks for your time. We'll see you again next week for our next Bible Thump.